Blastic plasmacytoid dendritic cell neoplasm, BPDCN, is a rare yet aggressive and challenging to diagnose blood cancer that nearly always presents with cutaneous involvement. In podcast number one of this series, we discussed BPDCN disease demographics and presentation in detail with dermatologist and dermatopathologist Dr. Whitney High. In this, part two, Dr. High details the diagnosis process, including the triad of proteins that may indicate a positive diagnosis, as well as common misdiagnoses. Here's Dr. High. Dr. High, please tell our listeners about the diagnosis process. Where do you start? What does that look like over time? Well, as I mentioned in prior podcasts, you know, a skin biopsy is really important. In fact, uh, some articles mentioned that the skin being so accessible and, and the uh, diagnostic findings being so suggestive of the disease process that the skin biopsy is really the most important thing in making the diagnosis of BPDCN. Uh, so skin biopsy is very, very important. And certainly, you know, as I mentioned in prior podcasts, some of my dermatologists aren't always aware what they're looking at, but they're sure they're not looking at something that's that's easily classifiable. Uh, Sometimes they think they're looking at leukemia cutis. Sometimes they think they're looking at uh, B-cell or T-cell lymphoma. Uh, But they're pretty sure that it's something uh, extraordinary and unusual in their practice. And and so in in that regard, as we mentioned before, as a dermatopathologist, which I also happen to be, uh, I'm looking for a disease process in the dermis and sometimes in the dermis and subcutis. Uh, So I'm looking for a biopsy uh, that is a... uh, saucerization or a punch or something affording a good inspection of the deeper aspects of the skin. And, and, and then once we see that, what we're looking for very often is dermatopathologist. Again, I'm a dermatologist and a dermatopathologist both. Uh, what we're looking for is we're looking for an infiltrate of cells that are kind of medium-sized. They sometimes have a gray appearance. Uh, they're very monotonous and, and, and monomorphic in their appearance. They have usually round to oval nuclei, sometimes two or three nucleoli per uh, nucleus, and, and really it's a diagnosis that's going to have to be made with immunostains. Uh, so that considered, you know, this is going to be a diagnosis that doesn't come back in 24 or 48 hours. It's going to take the dermatopathologist a little longer to work up this diagnosis and be real certain as to what they're looking at. And it's the immunomarkers, the immunohistochemical stains that are really going to afford the diagnosis. Can you talk to us a little bit more about those protein markers that indicate a positive diagnosis? Sure, yeah. So uh, immunohistochemical staining is going to be requisite for making this diagnosis. You're not going to be able to just look at the H&E and say, oh, that's what it is, and send the report back uh, the next morning in 12 or 14 hours. Uh, It's going to take you a little while to use these immunohistochemical markers uh, to come to the diagnosis. And the things that are probably most valuable are, are CD123, CD4, and CD56. And again, for for those listeners who aren't dermatopathologists, CD means cluster of differentiation, and these are common markers uh, that are pretty much available in most laboratories. I don't know too many laboratories that wouldn't have uh, those markers. And and it turns out uh, that BPDCN uh, marks with all three of those stains, CD123, CD4, and CD56, although they're not usually done in that order. Uh, They're usually done in a slightly different order. For example, usually CD4, a pretty ubiquitous uh, marker, uh, is done first, and the cells are positive for CD4. Uh, Then CD56, uh, uh, usually we think of that as a natural killer cell marker, but it is positive in BPDCN as well. Uh, That's often done second. And then CD123 is probably the most 
uh, uncommon of the those three markers that I've discussed so far, and it's uh, something that is strongly positive in BPDCN and really distinguishes it from a lot of other lymphoid proliferations of the skin. But the way it all comes together in a really kind of handy way to remember it is it's it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, for CD123, CD4, and CD56 uh, being positive in this disease. The other markers that we occasionally do to kind of firm up the diagnosis, uh, probably the one that's most common at most laboratories is something called TCL1, and that stands for T-cell leukemia lymphoma protein 1, and that's one of the only ones that we have readily accessible at our lab, which is a skin laboratory. Uh, and that's a confirmatory marker after you always already get that CD123, CD4, CD56 panel. Now, people have asked me before, and some of our more advanced listeners want, might want to know, you know, which marker is, is kind of most critical. CD4 and CD123 are really critical. CD56 is positive in the vast majority of the cases, but if there were one of those three basic markers, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, uh, that is less common, in some cases of BPDCN, it would be CD56. There are some cases that are reported to not mark with CD56. But again, it's just handy to remember that it's one, two, three, four, five, six. And those are the markers that are most common in BPDCN. And then the confirmatory marker would be TCL1. What challenges might a dermatologist face in the BPDCN diagnosis process? Well, as I mentioned, you know, the, the, the disease is, is vexing somewhat. Uh, I've had cases that are, uh, you know, sent in uh, uh, by dermatologists or, or by dermatology professionals, PAs, nurse practitioners, and they're not really sure what they're looking at. Sometimes they thought they're looking at a benign condition like a drug eruption or, or syphilis, which is an infection, of course, uh, and they're not sure what they're looking at. So that can be one problematic area is that they're just not sure whether they need to do a biopsy alone or just take a history or or consult with a, another dermatologist or what they precisely have to do. And again, we've talked about the skin biopsy being the most important thing with regard to making the diagnosis in the vast majority of cases. The other thing is sometimes people use steroids, either oral steroids or topical steroids, and that can confound or delay the diagnosis while the patient tries that. Moreover, some of the therapies, not particularly our most successful therapy, therapies for BPDCN, um, but some of the therapies involve CHOP, uh, CHOP is something we all learned about in medical school 20 or 30 years ago, but the P in CHOP is prednisone, and so prednisone very often partially or incompletely treats uh, lymphoid malignancies or makes them more difficult to diagnose, so those can be the problems. Um, but again, most people recognize that something's going on that they can't immediately classify as psoriasis, lichen planus, something like that. And, and uh, again, most often, I guess, leukemia acutis has been the diagnosis submitted by very astute uh, dermatologists. And even then, as I mentioned, it's going to take these immunomarkers and it's going to take some time and careful thought to really come to the diagnosis by the dermatopathologist. So it's not going to be a diagnosis that you get immediately the next morning or anything like that. And sometimes uh, that's problematic for the patient who's very in, uh, concerned and wants a diagnosis very, very quickly. What other insights can you offer dermatologists who find themselves considering a BPDCN diagnosis? Well, you know, as we mentioned, you know, it's important 
uh, to always think about that uh, age group that you're looking at. Again, this is more a disorder of adults, particularly order, older uh, adults. It's more often a disorder of men more than women, uh, not exclusively. It can be in any age, any race, any sex, but uh, more often a disease of older men. And then the other thing is that, you know, being a dermatologist and dermatopathologist, I see the uh, issues from both sides, really. And, and very often we get very little history on the accession forms and the accession information that's sent to the laboratory with the specimen. And one thing we mentioned in an earlier podcast is that 10 to 20% of people with this BPDCN diagnosis have some other lymphoid malignancy antecedent in their history. And so it would be important to kind of communicate that because I just think it it changes the paradigm for which the dermatopathologist is looking at the skin and they're thinking a little bit more broadly uh, and might be a little bit more willing to perform immunostains and things if they think the patient has a history of a lymphoid malignancy and they might catch this diagnosis, whereas if it just comes in with rash or D48.5 or something else scribbled across the accession form, they might not be in the right frame of mind to make a lymphoid uh, malignant, a malignant lymphoid diagnosis. And so that's, that's kind of an important thing. I, I, I think that the other things that, you know, can be challenging to diagnose are things like subcutaneous paniculitis like T-cell lymphoma. And again, sometimes BPDCN can be one nodule or just a couple nodules, particularly early on. But the important educational point is even those singular lesions those patients with BPDCN that present as a singular lesion, they still have a very adverse prognosis and they will uh, get sick quickly. And, and so it's important to communicate as much information as you can to the dermatopathologist so that they can make those important uh, immunohistochemical studies uh, to make the diagnosis and clarify exactly what's going on. Join us next time as we wrap up our podcast series for details on BPDCN prognosis and patient referral. For more, visit us online at www.thedermdigest.com.